to talking absolute worship for the next just under an hour we hope we will be talking absolute worship and uh, we're looking at the lectionary passages and how they might inspire our preaching where are you going with these readings this week neil i think uh i was struck by the fact that here we are in the season of epiphany and suddenly jonah gets parachuted into the lectionary I suspect a few people will be struck by that. Um, so I think the things that really stood out for me were that this bit of Jonah is the bit where he does the thing that God wanted him to do all along. And he goes and brings the message and um, Nineveh is transformed by the bringing of that message. And I think one of the things that struck me about that was that in the season of Epiphany where we're building on the visit of the Magi, the ones who come from far away into Israel to say, we know something about this baby and have come a long way. And you kind of have the reverse going on in Jonah. You have someone coming from Israel, interestingly, a very reluctant someone who comes to another place and announces this good news. And I guess for me, that resonated powerfully with the Mark reading. So I guess at the moment, I'm sort of thinking that Jonah and Mark might be the ones that I would particularly home in on because you have the, um, the point where Jesus announces, this is the moment. Um, and um, I don't always get overly hung up on how many times things appear in the Bible, because mm. that can be a bit of a, a rabbit warren, I think. But one of the commentaries I was looking at did just point out that um, the kingdom of God appears 66 times in the New Testament, and the Matthew version, which is the kingdom of heaven, appears 32 times in Matthew. And this is, this is the moment when something that is going to be a massive, massive theme actually pops up. And I guess it might be interesting. Here we are, we've kind of, we've done Christmas. There's a bit of a sense of, you know, we're heading into what the lectionary calls ordinary time. You know, there's a bit of a sense of where are we? And actually we're at an incredible moment where this amazing good news just breaks into the world. And so that, and, and I'm imagining that we may still, we, well, we still will be living in a world with COVID, which will beg all sorts of questions about how we do things. But there is good news. Yeah. Nathan. I was just struck that um, it's, it's always felt like Jonah is a, he goes, he finally goes and he goes, this is the time you need to repent and believe and the whole city does it. And you go, how did you manage that? And that's incredible. And you kind of go, not everyone can preach like that. Not even Jesus. I hadn't quite noticed that, that Jesus comes and says to everybody, the kingdom of God has come, the time has come, repent and believe. And they don't. Well, some do, but some don't. But it's kind of that hard slog and what I'll talk about is how difficult it can feel and how unworthy you can feel to be a disciple but we still need to keep trying and it's that fact even Jesus can't just do a Jonah <laughs> and, and speak to the whole of Israel and it does the trick it actually takes a lot more than that normally 
it's even it, it's even starker than that because Jonah doesn't actually say repent and believe at all. He just says, "In forty days, Nineveh will be destroyed." There is there's no <laughs> there's no good news at all. It's the anti-gospel. Um, it's the opposite of 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 the gospel. And still, they repent <laughs> and, and believe. And it's kind of weird. Um, it and yeah, and he's he's kind of cross about it isn't it i know you like the next bit listen about uh... I, do. <laughs> I do when he has a big sulk because <laughs> they did what god wanted them to do i think that's always a very interesting uh interesting thing but that's for another time ayana yeah i just i find it really encouraging because it's clearly um nothing that any human is doing you know it's not actually Jonah is obedient to eventually to kind of what God is saying, but ultimately it's the Holy Spirit preparing people's hearts and God doing God's thing. And I'm very reassured by that because <laughs> it's not, it's not in our strength then. So it means that we all have, we all have work we can do. We all have things that we can, can share with the world. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that Neil mentioned rabbit holes because I think there's loads of rabbit holes preachers could disappear down um in in these passages <laughs> in the jonah thing i disappeared down a rabbit hole looking up this stuff um and i thought to myself mm, uh, that sounds like quite a major event if the whole of the capital city nineveh um converted to the um israel's god um and i there is no evidence ever that this happened um, and you could disappear down a massive rabbit hole of what kind of story Jonah actually is um, and, and what it means to, to, to begin to think whether it's historical or not or whether it's a sort of uh, mythological um, uh, fantasy story that's that's clearly trying to say something about the condition of the people of Israel and their reluctance um, and I think maybe that that message is about them supposed to be the light to the Gentiles, but ending up over the years being battered and harassed by superpowers around them, or becoming very defensive and uh, and and drawn in on themselves. And and here and so here's Jonah, totally reluctant to go and see the Gentiles saved, um, which is completely opposite of being a light to the Gentiles. Um, there's, there's all sorts of, of stuff in there um, that you could try and unpack. And then you've also got Mark's Gospel, so um, why would you? <laughs> but tying them together, Neil, I think is, 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 is a way forward. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, I think that, I think they do, I think they do, they do go, they do go um, together. Robert, where are you going with these readings this week? Um, well, the Mark one always, um, you know, some readings, sort of, there's something about them that resonates. Um, and it's for me, it's um, when he says, come follow me. And it just says, at once they left their nets and followed him. <laughs> it says something to me about Jonah and his reluctance. Um, and I sort of wonder, always wonder, what did they leave? And um, 
I suppose it, it's, a, it's a personal thing because it's about that change in life um, to, to following, to saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to make this choice. I'm going to make this move, um, and do and so there's something in there, and it's to do the Corinthians reading as well. Time is short, uh, and there's something about how do we live our lives, and that a lot of people it feels to me live a, a sort of half life of just carrying on doing what they've always done or what's expected of them, and that there's something here that says no. Uh, leave that, do something different, move on, follow follow Jesus, follow God, find what it is, your purposes, who are you, what are you here for? Um, yeah, a choice. Uh, there's something about that. that. That's what struck me about it. That's what, and I see echoes of that, like the Jonah, no, 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 I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this. And then in the end, he does. And the Corinthians all about, there's something about an urgency of not letting life drift on, but actually doing something, making a choice, making a move. And in that, I think what, what it says to me is that's how you find uh, fulfilment there. There's, because you're, you're really making a choice to, to do something. I think there's, um, there's certainly something in the pairing of um, the gospel and Corinthians here in this uh, concept of the moment coming or the time coming, the time is now. And I don't often look up the Greek interlinear, not largely because I don't have to. Um, but, um, <laughs> in this instance, liar. <laughs> in this instance, um, this is Kairos. This is Kairos time. Uh, I, I know nothing about Greek. Um, we went backwards in Greek when we were at college. If, uh, <laughs> if you um, but uh, there's two two Greek ideas of time: Kairos and Kronos. Um, and Kronos is about clocks and dates and ticking and measuring um, the passing of time, whereas Kairos is more about season. Um, a, a time to live, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to reap, that, that kind of time. And this is the Ecclesiastes time. This is the season um, that Paul is talking about, probably Jesus. It's the season of the coming of the kingdom of God. That's the season we're living in. Um, and so this change that you've, you've put your finger on there, um, Robert, this, this, this crisis, this, this moment of the season has changed. It's, it's time to stop doing that now. It's time to start doing this. This activity is now appropriate because it's this season, whereas before it was that season. Um, I think there's a lot in that. Um, there's a lot in that imagery about people making that change and saying, what, what is this time in my life about? What, what, what are we in the season for? And Jesus says it very, very, very bluntly in Mark. It's it's it's. It's time for the announcement of the of, of, of the of the kingdom of God, and you must respond. <laughs> End of. <laughs> Neil. Yeah, I, I I think that's really helpful. And and as you were talking, Robert, I was thinking maybe another word that's circulating somewhere. You know, as you look at these readings as a whole, 
is the whole question of well the word vocation yeah calling you know in a and and a, and I think that's another thing it would be interesting to play with because as soon as you say a word like calling or vocation I think there's maybe a temptation to sort of think well that's what some people have you know not least people who get to wear dog collars or live in church houses or whatever you know that there is something wonderfully powerful about trying to take a word like vocation and calling in the context of these readings and actually say, but you know, what does it mean that, that all of us have a part to play in this coming of this kingdom? Um, and they're going to look different. And they're even going to look different on a Tuesday to what they are on a Wednesday. Um, but what does it mean for us to live lives as people who genuinely believe that God is wanting to make use of us in the world? Um, not for our own aggrandizement or, and I think, you know, I'd want to say not even to just make the church stronger, but actually there is something far bigger going on that God wants everyone to join in with. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I wrote down um, was about that Corinthians passage. Um, these, these st the stuff that Paul imagines that um, he's describing almost as distractions. Um, uh, so being married, um, mourning those we've lost, um, rejoicing about the stuff in your life, um, buying stuff, having stuff, um, and having worldly responsibilities, it kind of seems to list those as if they're just distractions and if you should just dispense with them now that this season has arrived. Um, but I don't think Paul's saying they're bad things. And I don't think Paul is saying we should all go up and live a monastic life uh, because monastic life kind of does shun all those things, doesn't it? Um, separates itself from the world. But it's very, very difficult to imagine being human without those things, without defining ourselves by those things, our relationship to things we love, the people around us, the responsibilities we have in the world. We, how do we define ourselves if we don't? And it seems that Paul is actually trying to address that question. And he's saying, yeah, there is something. Look beyond them. There's something behind them. There's something just much deeper that defines who you are um, for this season. And trying to tease that out is not easy trying to put that into words is not easy what is this thing the ground of our being there's something much deeper that defines who we are it's not those things those things are important but it's not those things yeah robert uh, the, the the word that um comes into my mind when you talk about that sort of thing is focus where 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 is where am i focused so those things are necessary and important, but they aren't. They aren't the focus. If we, if we, if we focus on them, we miss the point. Um, and I've, I've got a sort of quote which is vaguely um, relevant. I think you know of my um, love of motorsport. This is a quote by somebody called Bruce McLaren, and he says, "To do something well is so worthwhile." that to dry, die trying to do it better cannot be foolhardy. It will be a waste of life to do nothing with one's ability, for I feel that life is measured in achievement, not in years alone. 
Now, I might not agree with the word achievement, but it's about it for it, the way it feels to me is that if you if your focus is in the wrong place on those things, it is a sort of half life, uh, and whether those things extend your life. It doesn't matter if you're living this half life. Jesus is a sort of example of that. Three years of work and then they kill him. But what are three years? You know, um, what did he do? Change the world. It's um, I, I, uh, that's what. Yeah. There you are. Cool. So, so what you're saying, Robert? is that there is a gospel imperative for forgetting your wedding anniversary because you're focused... Oh, completely, yes, yeah. Ayana, <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you going with these readings this week? Yeah, so I've been looking at Jonah and also the psalm. Um, and I suppose I've sort of looked at them from maybe more of an experiential kind of um, angle, thinking of the congregations that I might preach to and um, and it's so hard I think with stories like Jonah people have heard them and it's sort of quite sensationalist isn't it you know and there's this big fish and you know get swallowed great and um, so trying to sort of break that down to what what's the relevance really to us I think can be quite tricky so I guess I was drawn to the psalm as well because um I think the word that stood out to me in the very beginning of the psalm is silence. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. And thinking about Jonah in the belly of that fish, um, thinking about silence um, and darkness. And there's something about when we're in a difficult place or when we're trying to understand the things of God, that we sometimes we, we need to draw into ourselves that those things are actually within us. But there's this kind of Richard Rohr talks a lot about um, the sort of dualism of self. And I, and I really think that there's a lot of truth in that. We struggle so much sometimes to do the good works, to read a story like that and think, wow. But like Lithan said, you know, Jonah went and did all this amazing stuff um, and we, we can't relate it or we can't understand it because actually we haven't done enough work on our within ourselves to perhaps combat the darkness within us and to really get to that place of silence. And I think until we get to that place of silence and stillness with God, um, there, there, is no, there is no future hope. There is no resurrection for us um, or for our situations or for the environment or for, um, you know, war-torn places in the world. Um, and so there's the bit in the psalm as well, um, trust in him at all times. Again, coming, coming back to time. And I think we, I think we respond very well to that concept of seasons, a season for everything. But I think sometimes we need to, first of all, realize that we have to stop um, and we have, to, we have to wrestle with that darkness within ourselves and be, be truly still before we can hear the word to spring forward. Because then mm -hmm. um, quite a few of you were saying about um, sort of vocation and calling, and that really spoke to me as well in the, in the Jonah passage. And I don't, before I um, came to ministry, I had many years just thinking, I really want to do something. I want to do something for God. It definitely can't be that, but I want to do something for God. Um, and, and wrestled with it a bit like Jonah, you know, about what, what could I be? I couldn't be that, but how, how can I serve? And so I think it's in, it's in that wrestling when we come into that more, that stronger relationship, because it's such a relational thing with God, isn't it? Um, and 
And I think that's where we need to kind of sit in a way in that darkness and, and see what new life is going to spring forward. I, I think that could be really powerful. I, I, I sometimes wonder hearing you, hearing you speak that I don't preach enough on the Psalms um, <laughs> and what depths of, of emotion and spirituality there are in them. And I was just looking over it again as you were speaking, and there's, there's there's so much in just those few verses. I was looking at the, the the sort of middle section. Those those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They're together lighter than a breath. It doesn't really matter what your social status is. Don't put your store in social status. Um, put no confidence in extortion. Well, I wasn't thinking of that uh, route. Um, set no vain hopes on robbery. Well, nor that one. Um, if riches increase, don't set your heart on them. I, I just think, wow, um, where where do we put that? Um, where do we lean um, in those moments you were talking about when we feel at sea? Um, like, I suppose like Jonah did, <laughs> that's the feeling at sea and, and tossed by, by the world. We lean on those things, don't we? Um, even as Christians, um, I say even as Christians, as Christians, we still lean on those things. And um, we're being urged, maybe also being urged in the Corinthians passage, not to lean on those things because the time has come. Robert? Um, well, my experience is similar to Ayana's of the years of thinking I wanted to do so I didn't know for a long time that I wanted to do something for God but something that mattered um, and not feeling adequate enough to do any of the things I thought perhaps I could do um, so you rely on those things of the world and find that they don't give you any answers that the silence I found is how you are able to shift your focus uh, that's the only way to 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 see to sense um to sense that that what what god is or not what god is gosh none of us know what god is um to sense that god is i suppose and that, that there is something that matters and that it isn't all about this ephemeral you know those of low estate are but a breath those of high estate are a delusion. That's brilliant, isn't it? You know, it doesn't, none of that matters. Um, what matters is that which you find in the darkness and the stillness. That's what gives you hope. In a in, in a shop sneak preview of um, <clears throat> next week's gospel reading, um, which we'll be talking about at some other time, um, one of the things that they're amazed that, that the synagogue people are amazed at is when Jesus silences or uh, the, the, the demons. And, and I wonder <clears throat> whether maybe part of that is what uh, Ayana is, is bringing to us is, is un unless we've silenced those voices and found that stillness and that quietness. Um, in God's presence, then all, the, all of these things of the world are still going to be the, the competing ones which demand our attention. And we need to we need to find ways of, of silencing the demons. <clears throat> um, mm. um, and, and yeah, why not use the word demons? The Bible mm. um, silence the demons um, in, in our lives. 
Nathan, good to see you back because we were about to come and ask you, um, where, where do you think you're going with these readings this week? Well, um, looking at the Mark reading and about the call of the fishermen, um, ever since I read one of Rob Bell's books, I can't remember which one he talks about it in, and about what it means to be a fisherman, to be called to be a disciple, that's just I can never think about anything else. So if you haven't heard this, Rob Bell asserts that um, when you were a child uh, uh, boy, obviously at these times, then you would start to learn the Torah. So everybody, every boy would learn. And then gradually it would be like different versions of the 11 plus going on that there'd be cutoff points where they go, no, you're not really good enough, out you go. So there'd be, you know, if you weren't very good, then they'd say, no, actually, you need to go and do a job. You know, this isn't for you. You need to do some sort of manual work. You're never going to become um, a rabbi. And there'd be various cutoff points at different times. But being fishermen with their father, probably these fishermen, that meant that they'd been rejected from the rabbinical system quite early on, that they wouldn't be the ones that were the most well-versed, they would be the ones who'd feel a bit of a, a failure. Um, I went to um, a grammar school, I, I went in a horrible, horrible time in Surrey, they ended the, the 11 plus system, in my year they'd started middle schools, so if you passed your 11 plus at 11, you went on to grammar school. And if you failed, you stayed at the school you'd been in for another year. And it, and I just felt, I, I went on to school because I did pass, but it just, I still felt that hurt and how awful it would be to not even be good enough to change schools at 11. Um, it was the last year, so they, they they changed it after that but it was but I always kind of felt such empathy with my with my peers at that time and I kind of and I feel that for the fishermen who'd be there they might hear rabbis and every time they go to the synagogue think well you know I wish I could be learned like they are but I'm not it could be that because they're with their father they're still apprenticed they haven't gone off on their own it could be that they're still quite young we tend to think of them because of the pictures that we've seen as kind of the same age as Jesus, but we don't know. Even, even if we know that Peter has a mother-in-law, that doesn't mean he's old. It's just because everyone got married much younger than we do. So we, we can't extrapolate from that. But it could be that they're still apprentices learning the family business, and yet then Jesus calls them and that's what rabbis would do in the end when it was when you'd learn all of the Torah and <clears throat> things and you were ready to do a bit more the rabbi would pick the best people to follow him and so Jesus comes along and maybe they know him you know I always wonder whether how immediate this immediate is do they actually go off with a complete stranger or is it somebody they know something about and they've heard but whatever it is it's still that they still go immediately but he comes along and he says I want you to follow me and that that call to follow is the thing that rabbis would say come and follow me and learn from me and these people who felt that they were not good enough suddenly find they are good enough 
And I think that's a really important um, thing to remind people about. Being called to be disciples, to walk Jesus' way, doesn't mean you have to know it all. Doesn't mean you're going to be like Jonah at this point. Although, as Phil was saying, my favourite bit's the next bit of Jonah, which when... Um, when they do all repent and it's a massive success, Jonah thinks it's terrible because he doesn't think they deserve it. And he goes off and has a sulk. Um, so even Jonah's not a fully formed, brilliant person, even if his preaching does the trick with the help of the spirit this time. And I think it's so good for us to, to um, think of this. And while I was mulling this over this morning, I was reminded of a call to communion from Iona which says, um, this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him and who want to love him more. So come you who have much faith and you who have little, you who've been here often and you've not been here for a long time, you who've tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it's Jesus who invites you. It's his will that those who want him should meet him here. And there's just that sense that that's what Jesus is, he calls us all to follow me, however we're feeling. And in a sense that you could link in that middle bit of the psalm that Phil talked about, about those of low estate and high estate. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are or how learned you are. Jesus still says, follow me and, and wants us to follow and learn from him. That, um, I, I remember, thank you for reminding me about that stuff from Bob Bell, because that was hugely powerful. I think when I, I remember when I read that. Um, is that the same bit when he talks about being covered with the dust of your rabbi? Because there's some, some passage about following the rabbi on the dusty roads and always being covered. May, and, it, and he finishes with something like that line when he says, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi or something because you are following in his footsteps and you're getting covered by his dust, maybe. I'll look it up and you, like you know, see, see where that goes. I often wonder with Joe, and I've got a little bit of sympathy with him. I, I know that, that you think it's funny that he goes and sulks, but um, um, I have a little bit of sympathy. If God's calling him to be a prophet um, and to go up and down and tell an entire city that they're doomed in 40 days and then they're not, that completely destroys his credibility as a as a prophet, does it not? If it doesn't happen, I mean, he's like the boy who cried wolf then, isn't he? And his career is over. Um, it spreads around all the other cities. So I thought Jonah comes and tells you you're destroyed, you're not. Um, I think there's an awful lot to ponder if you want to do a sermon on Jonah. Um, mm. and you've, you've, you've led us onto that path nicely that there are, there's, there's a lot of stuff in Jonah's reaction to him like why is he cross but why there's, there's lots of different reasons why he could be cross about this and also I think there's a there's a thing in there about about who God is um in that story of Jonah um because at, at first sight Jonah appears to be cross that God has changed his mind and this idea of God changing his mind isn't straightforward, is it, in Christian theology? It's something that people think, hang on, no, that doesn't happen. God doesn't change his mind. Um, and there's, there's, there's stuff to unpack there. Um, uh, yeah, Ayana. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing, really, that I think it's hugely problematic and quite 
annoying in some ways that we have these you know sort of we have these occasions in the bible where we hear and then god changed his mind and then we hear a lot of other things including in the psalms you know god's unchanging and unfaithful he's this rock you know um that, that god is this immovable thing um and then we kind of hear this it's almost like a sort of um almost like a human touch isn't it and I, i'm happy for it i sort of celebrate it because i think how can we have an all-loving God, if God is going to be compassionate towards us, then there's going to surely have to be this moving and this bending and this flexing with us because we are so, um, we are created flawed in a way in, um, with our human condition, we are, we are fallible and we will, um, you know, we will fail. And so if we had a God who was rigid, I don't see that as I don't see that as very compassionate, but it is problematic because a lot of everything else in the Bible is about this, yeah, God's God, don't mess or else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think God has to be responsive in some way. Otherwise, a lot of the Bible just doesn't make sense if, if God's not responding to God's people. Um, sometimes I wonder about this and I, I mused for a while and maybe decided in the end uh, it wouldn't be the direction I'd go in, but it's something I might stash away for the future to think about some more, is what this is saying about God, this, this whole, this whole um, passage it, it, about Jonah. Um, because at first sight, when I read it, the, the, the pictures that came into my head was of him being cross that God had changed his mind. Then I was thinking back to this. Uh, so God, in, in this story, the way it's presented, God is really cross with Nineveh and he's going to destroy them. Then he softens and changes his mind, um, which is a contrast to Genesis, when um, you know God gets really cross with Adam and Eve and banishes them, um, uh, uh, and God gets really cross with the entire world and floods it. Um, and, and kind of the, the thing that came into my head is that maybe this is it's presented almost like God is on some kind of anger management course, and uh, through the Bible. And, and we get an increasingly softened picture of how God responds. And then in the Gospels, we get the, the God who gives himself completely and walks to the cross. Um, and I think, well, maybe that's, maybe, maybe that's not about God at all. Maybe that's about us um, uncovering um, who God is or God revealing God's self to us. Um, and we actually discover that the God we feared we had isn't the God we've got. <laughs> And, uh, and through the Bible, we're charting this story of our perception changing about who God is. God's not an angry, uh, an angry God who's going to destroy us all. God's not a, an angry God who is going to be impetuous, but then maybe be persuaded to change her mind. Um, God is actually unfathomably gracious God. Um, which is the picture we hopefully end up with and progress towards. Neil? Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It, it? Yeah, the more we the more we talk, the more the layers keep kind of being revealed. Uh, I mean, one of the things I was thinking about the Corinthians passage is um, the fact that, I mean, the reason we have the letter is that Paul is himself responding to the questions that the Corinthians had asked about, well, okay, so presumably if we're living in this amazing time that you're telling us we're living in, then, for example, um, we should be celibate because 
actually we shouldn't be, you know, sex is no longer for us because actually very shortly Jesus is going to return and it's all over and God is going to do this amazing thing. So, so actually there in Corinth, you know, the, we have Corinthians precisely because people are wrestling right at the start of the life of the church with, okay, so who is God and, and what does it mean and how should we do communion and, and, and you know, what, what should we do about marriage and what happens if some of our friends have died and Jesus hasn't yet returned? You know, it's, it's like this, this whole just explosion of questions about, well, I'm believing this stuff, but I'm living in a reality and how do the how do they all tie up? And and I think it's interesting that you know, one of the things that I think we get in that in the Corinthian stuff from Paul is kind of a sense of God, God is God is doing what God will do. Um, we we need to not get overly hung up on trying to second guess exactly what that is. But what we can do is we, we can be faithful and we, and we have to work out what faithfulness looks like. And I think, you know, sometimes Paul is difficult because Paul makes lots of judgments about what faithfulness looks like. Mm. Um, but actually, we are all doing that all the time. I mean, we're all wrestling, I think, with working out. Okay, in as we head from 2020 to 2021, as we live through the pandemic, as we do all sorts of things, what does faithfulness look like? Um, and I think it's kind of reassuring, it seems to me, that, that actually, just as the Psalms are willing to hold some of the, some of the most awful experiences of humanity, you know, and they're willing to hold uncertainty and and fear and and anger, as well as love and and faithfulness. So I think Paul is willing to wrestle with what does this stuff mean, and you know, there's something perhaps there that links to the Jonah. You know, Jonah is this really ambiguous follower and and then there's something interesting about all that you've been revealing to us about yeah listen that's that's tremendous stuff about actually let's dig a little deeper into the relationships that might have existed between these fishermen and Jesus even before we get to the bit of the story that we've just heard um, so it seems to me there's a lot in these readings about faith that is being constructed and and worked with and lived with in the midst of life rather than something that's just a neat thing that you receive and that's it you know you've received it and away you go fantastic we've got like several potential sermon titles we've got we've got robert's uh, how to theologically justify forgetting your wedding anniversary we've got <laughs> meals what does faithfulness look like <laughs> we've got uh, ayana's uh, finding the finding the the, the 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 quiet 
voice, the, the, the stillness. Uh, we've got Lithans um, calling the calling the dusty lowest of the low. Um, we've got Phil's God on anger management courses. There's, I think the challenge for preachers this week is as as often is the case, what not to say. Um, um, I, I often find that's the that, that's one of the crucial uh, issues with preaching is not what to say, it's what not to say, and and not to be tempted to just go off down all your own personal rabbit holes. Um, and I, I think what Ayana said is is going to um, live with me a bit as I wrestle with these texts. What does what does my congregation need to hear? Um, but where, where am I going to be preaching these texts, and, and what do they need to hear <laughs> this week? <laughs> Um, in, 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 in these times, uh, in, in this Kairos times that we're, we're, we're in. But there is more to worship than preaching, thank goodness. Um, and so we're going to spend a bit of time uh, thinking about how these readings might inspire us to some of the other elements of worship. So, Neil, uh, what have you dragged out of your closet this week? A couple of things. Um... One might be, it might be just interesting to revisit the Kairos document, um, which some of us will know well, but of course I realize is now actually becoming history. Um, but that was where the, where the church in South Africa said during the worst days of apartheid, we are now in a Kairos moment where faithfulness demands that we oppose apartheid. And of course, part of the context was that there was a part of the church, the Dutch Reformed White Church, that was supporting apartheid. And, and, and actually, here were Christians saying, it, God demands from us now in this moment something significant. Which, so I was thinking, you know, that maybe lends itself to think, thinking about, well, that was then, what might be some signs of our Kairos moments? And, you know, one might be the whole environmental crisis, but I suspect another might be in the midst of the pandemic, what we have learned, for example, about the upside down nature of who really matters in the world and who really matters in the world, for example, is the person who puts food on the supermarket shelf rather than the person who lives in a very big house and drives a big car. Um, so I was playing and I was thinking, you know, that could feed into prayers, but it could feed into um, something visual in terms of, you know, just images of um, power and, 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 you know, the significant folk and then what actually might God be saying about who really does matter? And then the other thing I thought about was the kingdom stuff. Um, and just one of the commentaries I looked at made the interesting point that when Jesus says this, um, he would be in, living in a world where um, Herod the Great had rebuilt the temple and had built great cities around him. Um, that honored the Roman Caesars and that Herod Antipas, his son, had just rebuilt Sepphoris, which was three miles away from Nazareth. And that was built in honor um, of Caesar again. And 
I suppose it just made me think another visual thing with PowerPoint would be to simply play with that notion of kingdoms or realms and, you know, to have images that spoke of great buildings, great power, but maybe then contrasted with images that, that speak of, of discipleship that perhaps speak also of Ayana's sense of stillness, of, of creating a space in our lives where God can really speak and we can really listen. Cool. Um, plenty to get you tuned into there. Robert, what, what, what have you uh, imagined about the rest of worship this week? Uh, not much. I found a, a picture, which I'll try and find, um, which is just... Um, now, who is this man? Uh, Dr. H. Key, um, who is an artist in residence at Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, can I share my screen? Yes, yes, you can. <laughs> there we are. It was rather nice. Can you see that? Yes. An interesting image. I like to get images which aren't um, uh, Jesus with blonde hair and everything, just to try and make people think. Uh, and I th found that rather interesting. Um, otherwise, not much. I mean, it's interesting um, what Ayana was saying about, and you were responding to, what does my congregation need to hear this week? And one of the things I find um, very difficult in retirement is that I haven't got a congregation uh, and I'm going round to random places and, and I find that really a struggle um, when you had that relationship with your your people um, then you've got a sense of what not they need to hear but what we as a group need to hear <laughs> I think and it's my responsibility as a preacher to try and put that into words but going around it's very difficult not to just drop into the um the easy thing to do um because you don't know on a lot of occasions who you're speaking to so that image if they've got the ability to display images and then um uh, I like, I was listening to what um, Neil was saying about power, and there's a guy I like who I can't find there, Tom Sherman, um, and his prayer, we hunger for power and you feed us the bread of humility, we long for freedom and you invite us to drink the cup of self-denial, Faithful and just God, our songs of, songs of gratitude will echo down the hallways of creation. I felt that was the sort of prayer I might I might be using. Oh, I'm lost. Unshare screen. Oh, stop sharing. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, that 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 picture that 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 would work fabulously if somebody could do that as a stained glass window, wouldn't it? But um, there you go, or, or, or yeah, someone creative. Um, Ayana, um, what, what have you come up with? Yeah. 
Interesting. As an aside, my um, niece makes knitted things like stained glass. So she'll take a picture and she would just knit that up. It's amazing, but that's an aside. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So I was sort of thinking images, I tend to think images. So um, I'll uh, share my screen and see if I can. Can you see that? Um, so this was um, an icon that I found. I've tried very hard to find um, whose work this is, but obviously it's an old Russian icon, so it's, it's hard to find. Um, but one idea I had was um, taking this sort of concept of it's a real it's a real proper sort of epic story, isn't it, Jonah? So um, having a real sort of quiet time, having the place kind of as dark as it could be with sort of main focus on our icon. Maybe people might need individual ones as well so that they can really kind of get into it. But obviously, we know with an icon, you're you're going through the window and you're very much en entering into the scene. And I like the fact that on this particular one, it, it's sort of kind of cyclical. You've got this real journey going on. Um, and I thought that might be nice to use with prayers of sort of focus of where we see ourselves now, kind of centering prayer. And then um, that journey that we would, where we, where we would like to be, I suppose, that journey that we want to go with God and how we're going to progress as we go through the different elements of the story. So that was kind of one idea. Oh, I don't know if I can move on to my next picture. Yes, oh no, I can't, let's try again, other way. Oh, all your little pictures are in the way. I can't, <laughs> I can't get to my next image. Let's try again. Um, I might have to stop sharing and try again. I put you down. Technology. I love the way in that picture, while you're just sorting that, that um, all that sort of very chaotic, it's quite chaotic for an icon, isn't it? There's all sorts going on. It's not a very simple icon. Yeah, really, yeah, really, really busy. Yeah. And God is, God, God's up in that cloud, just this sort of one calming, unifying presence to the whole scene. You think, oh, it, it, the only place that makes sense is in God's eyes, that the whole chaos of that scene unfolding. Okay, so I think I found it now. Sorry. Let's see if I can. Uh, so yeah, it's not not very big, I'm afraid. But um, if you can make this out, this is a lino cut. It was just on Flickr. So again, I don't I don't know the artist, but this really speaks to me because Jonah just looks so. He's really just hanging in there, isn't he? He's like, it's like, let me out, let me out. There's this, and he looks quite emaciated as well. I'm kind of wondering from this image just how long he's been in that fish. Um, but I really think this sort of speaks into our humanity, this how we would all feel if we'd wherever, we've been in some dark, horrible place and we're wrestling with these ideas and we're running away from God, which we all do. We'd be like that, wouldn't we? We'd be like, we're desperately trying to get out. And I like the fact that it's black and white because so my other idea was, again, maybe to have quite a darkened space, but for people to have individual candles to focus on so that they can just really... Um, just really sit and, and, and wrestle a little bit and um, perhaps to have um, prayers around the psalm um, that just help people to just still, just still that pace down um, and to take care in a way of our, of our inner selves a little bit before them. Because I think so often we want to, we want to answer the call, don't we? 
we want to do good, especially at the moment with the pandemic, we're, but almost like we're tripping over ourselves to do those things. It's a bit like at the beginning when we were all on about a million Zoom things because we wanted to be doing, we wanted to be helping. And we've kind of all had to pull back very much in the URC. There's been the talk about lament, hasn't there? And that sort of that resting and, and realizing we're in it for the long haul. And so I think people would probably benefit a bit from that as well. Um, there we go. <laughs> I, I love Jonah and the whale pictures and how people have depicted the, that moment of regurgitation. I think they're just fabulous. Uh, it would be great just to do like a series of those images and, and invite people to imagine themselves in that kind of place. I guess that's what you're doing there, isn't it? Nathan, what, what have you found? Um, I'm really struck with Jonah, the beginning of, the, of this um, part chapter three where it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah for a second time and that idea that God doesn't give up on us but gives us a second chance so um, for a prayer time I might use prayer stations I don't think any of these are my original idea but I didn't write down where I got them from so you have to forgive me those who thought these up to start with so one would be to have sackcloth to, to do a bit of ripping um, as a as a confession like the people of Nineveh did one would be to have um, a mirror so that people look at themselves um, and ask if they need a second chance from God and then have little cards for them to read and take away that say you're precious and honored in my sight and I love you which is from Isaiah and and so kind of to to read that but also to I, I like having things to take home so that when you when you look at them somewhere. Um, it's always, as an aside, it's always wonderful when I go to visit people, how many palm crosses are out for the whole year. And that, that's a reminder that actually having things from worship can really help us in our spiritual life. And then to have what, um, a big lit candle and some small candles around, which is about, do you need to give somebody else a second chance so we would light from the christ candle and light a, a little candle for them and then um, a map of the world about situations that need a second chance and again you might have um tea lights out for that so that was my kind of jonah prayer station idea and then just this morning i got a card now i'm not sure if you can oh yeah you can because I tried looking this up on the internet this morning and there isn't a version of this card that I could find that has the beautiful lighting because in my light because it's so dark. So this is a this is Jake Lever's soul boats. And I've just seen that they filled Birmingham Cathedral with these little boats that are made of wire tissue paper and gold leaf. And this is a card I got from my bishop or from Bishop Jackie this morning with my suffragan bishop because I'm in an ecumenical place and it's a card for advent because I'm as we record this we're in advent but and and just as a reminder that following Jesus involved a lot of crossing of seas it says so I kind of I love this image as the that um James and John and Simon Peter and Andrew left their boats so that's a, there's a kind of sense of the boats being left for them to follow there's also that sense of us being fragile little boats because they are quite fragile 
And I've just, I just keep staring and staring at this. And I think I probably offer that maybe as a way into silence about what does this mean? Um, Bishop Jackie's also written, um, what happened during the crossings was more important than getting to the other side. Times of threat, powerlessness, danger become places of encounter and recognition. And journeys between things, their challenges and vulnerabilities categorize all faith and ministry, never more so than now. On this unknown sea, the Lord is with us. The wind and waves obey him, we take courage. And I like that idea of, although they left their boats, they still went on a journey with Jesus. So you might use this again when we get to the calming of the storm. But I just, let's see if you can get, so you can see their fragility again. I just think that is super special. So thank you, Bishop Jackie, for that this morning. Thank you indeed. Um, I, I, some time ago, as a part of a sabbatical, um, I trolleyed around the British Isles. Um, on the motorbike looking at um, ancient places of pilgrimage in Britain and it was notable how many of them featured people who had got into tiny boats and um, put out to sea and there are several saints celebrated around our shores who got into boats and literally said wherever you take me God which is just, and, the, and to look at those boats, I'm sure you've, most of you have seen those little coracles that they would have had. And the, the seas around the, the United Kingdom, I, I'm guessing weren't much calmer back then uh, than they are today, um, was a phenomenal act of faith or foolhardiness. Is there a difference between the two? Um, faith and foolhardiness, you might want to explore that sometime. Um, but yeah, that's beautiful, the, the, the pictures of the little, the, the little boats. I sometimes wonder about the disciples, maybe a question I'll leave hanging in the air. Um, this passage often promotes uh, or leads to sermons that talk about people leaving everything behind. It's interesting that we haven't really focused on that today because that's, that's perhaps the most common thing that would come out of this uh, Mark gospel in, in pulpits around the country, leaving everything and a, a discussion about what it means to leave everything. Um, but later, um, after Jesus' death, they went back to their boats. So um, we do hear about them still having access to boats because they had access to boats to get across the lake, didn't they? And the stilling of the storm. And so they haven't burnt all their boats. <laughs> they still got some access to them. And I'm not sure how that works. Or maybe they just rented one. But, um, or maybe the family you know, borrowed. But they went back to their boats, didn't they, after, after um, Jesus' death. Um, as if they were saying, well, that didn't work out, we'll go back to what we had. And it was still there as an option for them. So I wonder sometimes where we, that, that's what our discipleship is about. You say, yes, God, we're in this, but we'll just keep a little, we'll keep a little um, back alleyway in case it doesn't work out. Um, uh, <laughs> a bolt hole in case this comes to nothing um, kind of attitude. The direction I went in, um, I, I, I I was uh, really, I think I would go with Mark um, and I, I'd love to go with Jonah, but I think I'd probably end up talking about Jonah all the time. And I'd go with Mark and I think I'd go with the, the time, the season is now and what is the gospel? Um, and the gospel is um, the announcement of the kingdom of God. That's what the gospel is. Mark is just really bold and simple and clear. And as Neil said, it's mentioned so many times, we cannot mistake it. <laughs> that 
simply said, what is the gospel? That is the gospel. The gospel is the announcement of the kingdom of God. Um, nothing more, nothing less. Um, it's not, the gospel isn't a, a personal program for my salvation. Um, the gospel is the announcement of the kingdom of God. That's what the gospel is. Um, and that kingdom of God is unstoppable. That, that, that's part of it. It's something that has been announced and inaugurated, but is unstoppable. Nothing can stop it. And that's the idea I think I would go with. And the image I had in my head um, uh, is, is, can, is this one. Um, I, I sometimes think just there's not enough time just to have a laugh for the sake of it in worship. Um, so I often include stuff that it's just is an image that, that I think um, might help, um, but is also a bit of a laugh. It's, it's a minute long here. Um, the, the phrase that came into my head um, was about um, the kingdom of God being out there, and it's out. It's like the toothpaste out of the tube. Um, you can't put it back in once once it's let out. And I was trying to think of different things that once you've started them, they can't be stopped like starting at the top of a toboggan run. Once you push it off, <laughs> you're committed. Um, there's no stopping the kingdom of God. Um, so I looked at whether it is in fact possible to put toothpaste back in the tube. Um, and here we go. Okay, So, so there we have it. Um, the, the kingdom of God is like the toothpaste out the tube. You can't get it back in. It's, it's there. It's exploded like a big mess around the world, the kingdom of God. Um, and we're in it. And there's no getting away from it. Um, and I thought about music. Um, uh, I knew um, that art would be, would be well covered. Um, and I thought you couldn't really talk about the time coming and it being the time and this being the, 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 the moment of time um, without having this. Oh, let's have the next one. I mean, there's got to be a way of using this in worship, hasn't there? Um, maybe in your prayers, you could have a very different kind of prayer. <laughs> We do half-minute prayers where the, the, the time is pressing. We all know what's coming, but it's just the urgency of the countdown clock. Um, there's got to be a way of using that in worship, hasn't there? Um, being created, it's coming, it's coming. The time is now. <laughs> uh, 
that it has to be a way of using that creatively. So especially when you've got Zoom, you can just whack it on there and do something about, about the time pressing, There's something about urgency in there. And finally, um, I, I've always thought at the end of worship, um, you sort of you, you finish the blessing, don't you? And, and there's different traditions in different congregations, and then the organist will play something quiet and reflective, and you debate how long you sit down before you stand up and leave <laughs> as, as, as the worship leader. Um, and uh, and sometimes the, the, the organ plays something stirring, and that'll mean people will talk, and it's easier to go out when they're playing something stirring. Um, and I thought, maybe we should be more creative about what we go out with um, and what kinds of music we use. So um, I think I would go with this one here um, as our leaving worship music. Surprise, we can guess what it is. <laughs> Better go and turn that off um, before something terrible happens. Can you hear that? <laughs> no, I'm going to have to put it back on again now. It won't. You're <laughs> trying to get out of the church. <laughs> you want to get out? How do I stop it? Right. Oh. <laughs> Is that? Right. Um, cool. Um, so yeah. Um, Sometimes I think it's nice to have a laugh in church, but um, if we're talking about um, timing and countdowns and crucial moments, then um, and maybe it's time to be creative with music. So that's uh, Epiphany 3. Um, plenty to get your teeth into there. Has anyone got any final thoughts before we close with a prayer? No, so for the last hour, or perhaps slightly more, um, because we've enjoyed ourselves so much, uh, we have been talking absolute worship, and we want to bless you as you undertake this important task of bringing God's work and uh, discerning what uh, God uh, wants your people to hear uh, this week. And to that end, Robert is going to end with a prayer. Loving God, we thank you for giving us minds to think and consider and for all of the ideas and creativity that we've shared this morning. We ask that you bless those who are preparing worship using these readings, that they may enliven and enlighten those who listen to them. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.